from the start, the conversation was about financial inclusion, open systems, open monetary networks, free markets, how the existing financial system is broken, and how, in theory, the world is a much more free, economically liberal place if the monetary network is Bitcoin. Hello there from El Zonte in El Salvador, the new Bitcoin capital of the world. So it is happening. Bitcoin is to become legal tender in this great country. And listen, there is a lot of work to be done and all Bitcoiners can help. I am going to be leaving tomorrow, heading back to the UK. I've been away for a long time and I'm missing my kids. But I'm hoping, I'm really hoping I can get back and add my support in the next couple of months to this really important project for Bitcoiners. Anyway, how are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got an interview with my good friend, Jack Mallard, where we're going to be discussing the history of this project in El Salvador. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. And first up today, we have Sportsbet.io. As the Euros are on, I have teamed up with Sportsbet.io to join their legends, Brett Lee and Danielson, to make predictions during the tournament. For the next round, I have predicted that England will score in both halves against Scotland. And if you want a chance to win a prize, you can go and compare my picks against the other two and see who is right. If you want to find more about this, please head over to Sportsbet.io forward slash promotions and click on the clubhouse links picks which is s-p-o-r-t-s-b-e-t dot i-o forward slash promotions and click on the clubhouse legends picks next up we have excess wallet who i am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for bitcoin now as you know I'm always talking about UX and how it is important to me because I believe for many people coming into Bitcoin, UX has a key role in helping people understand and using Bitcoin. So when Exodus reached out to me, I spent some time playing with the app and they crushed the experience. So I have been happy to recommend it to my friends and family. Now, the Exodus desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check this out at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Also, we have Casa, the safest way to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, phishing attacks are all ways that you can have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. You see, with a Casa multi-sig wallet, you take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets. And these are wallets which you distribute into different locations, which is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more, you can hit me up on email or DM. I will get back to you. I am a customer and I love the product. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Okay, so on to the show today. And as I said, I have my buddy Jack Mallers on the show to get into everything that happened over the last few months, this groundbreaking historical moment in El Salvador. By now, You've probably all seen Jack Mallard's presentation at Bitcoin 2021, where he dropped the news that El Salvador would be making Bitcoin legal tender. But that is only part of the story. I have managed to see this all up close as Jack invited me down to El Salvador at the start of May to make a film documenting 
all that was happening. Now, I felt it was time to get Jack on the show and tell us how it all started, how we got in touch with the president, and what this incredible move means for Bitcoin countries, but also talk about all the different people who have been involved in this project. Jack always brings the heat, and this time is no different. I know you're going to love it. But if you do have any questions or any feedback, you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. All right, onto the show. Go on, Jack. Tell us what happened. Jack, what a couple of months it's been this last couple of fucking months, man. How are you? How are you doing? Yo, uh, I'm good, man. Always good. Uh, happy to be here and uh, let's do this. Let's do this. Right. So I think it was about eight weeks ago. I got a call from you. I was thinking, how am I going to get to Miami? I've got to go somewhere for a couple of weeks beforehand. I was looking across Central and South America and then you called me up and you're like, Pete, do you want to come to El Salvador? So do you want to give the background? Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, we had made an announcement uh, called Strike Global. It was this attempt at solving cross-border payments with the Lightning Network. Uh, and our initial pilot was to be done in El Salvador. And the reasons are now known. El Salvador operates on the U.S. dollar. Over 20% of the country's GDP is in remittance. Uh, and fees can be upwards to 50%. And it's causing this massive immigration problem. And so it was a perfect place for us to do this case study. And not to mention, there is this project called Bitcoin Beach, which now everyone's familiar with, uh, that has cultivated and started this movement of financial inclusion and getting those relatively unbanked onto this open monetary network that was Bitcoin. And there was a growing community of people that really cared. And so I headed down there in late February, early March initially. And it was just to learn and be a good listener and understand what was happening in Bitcoin Beach and to validate a lot of my assumptions to see if Strike could be helpful and if we can solve the remittance problem and onboard a relatively unbanked country, a country that is not included in the financial system, a country that is abused by financial intermediaries and financial institutions and give them access to this open monetary network and a great experience and a new financial experience. And then while I was there... Uh, we launched and things were going really well. And I got contacted on behalf of the president. As everyone knows, uh, I came home for a couple days. And then, yeah, I got a call from the president like, hey, you know, like, we're going to do this. Let's do this. Can you come back and can we finish this off? And so, yeah, there was a lot of interest from reporters to be a part of it and cover it. And uh, I didn't want anyone else filming me and reporting on me while I was sleeping. So I gave Pete an NDA, which he was like, an NDA? Like, what do you have, like a new lightning secret, you loser? And uh, I was like, no, man, I think this one's kind of serious. And uh, it's not my NDA. So you should sign it. And I told you what we had to go do. And uh, Pete started to put together a film about it. And we went together. You know, the funny thing was, I did an interview uh, with Natalie Brunel. I can't remember what the date was, but it wasn't long before we spoke, and she was asking me about uh, you know, Bitcoin adoption in countries. And I think I listed El Salvador, Paraguay, and I can't remember the third one. And I was like, when it came out, I was like, oh no, Jack's going to think I broke the NDA. I told about it, but it's kind of kind of funny. Okay, let's, go, let's, let's do the full story. So t tell me about when you got here, uh, what you saw with Bitcoin Beach, what, they, what those guys had been doing, like what you learned from them. Yeah. So I firstly want to give Bitcoin Beach like a, like all the credit. You know, it was the re they were the reason I went to El Salvador. 
uh, they're inspired a lot of what I ended up building and what ended up happening. And the role I played was very minor. Uh, and it's a tremendous community, a tremendous amount of individuals and their legacy should be remembered forever. Uh, and so, yeah, I went down there. I lived in El Zante for over a month initially and I met the team. I understood the problem they were trying to solve, the infrastructure they had already, and then what I felt was missing and how I could hopefully help the entire country. And we also, from the very beginning, viewed El Salvador as a first step. Um, you know, Strike's mission as a company is to improve uh, financial freedom for all in the world. And we do that by making the world's first open monetary network easily accessible and usable. And so we, it, it was a, a great place to start. And I lived there and uh, it was awesome. And uh, then I actually lived in San Salvador, uh, the capital of the country. And I was sitting uh, in a sushi restaurant with my friends that had traveled with me just to be helpful. Like, I don't speak Spanish, right? Like, <laughs> and uh, so we were sitting and eating sushi and they were like, oh my God, we're all over the news. Every El Salvadorian like Facebook group and everything was strike in the rig. Remittance is free. Download this app and you don't have to go to Western Union and you can fix, like it improves your life and all of these things we're seeing all over the internet. And I'm like, okay, you got to ignore it. Like just keep working, keep working. Then I get a DM on Twitter and it's hijack. This is a message on behalf of President Bukele. I'm like, I initially (laughs) ignore it and think like I get weird Twitter DMs all the time. And Mm -hmm. some like, don't take it very seriously. And I read it again and I realize it's from his brother. And I was lean over to my friend and I show him and we collectively kind of like begin to piss our pants. (laughs) Cause I mean, it wasn't clear. Like, am I in trouble? Like what's happening? We launched this app, which directly threatens the internal banking infrastructure of the country right? We're like banking the unbanked. We're coming in as Americans and providing this financial infrastructure. I have no idea if they are educated on what's happening, if they understand what our goals are, you know, because we're ultimately just trying to be helpful and trying to push Bitcoin forward and trying to make the world a better place through Bitcoin, the network and Bitcoin, the asset. And so it wasn't clear to me. So we like calm ourselves down, like couldn't eat, couldn't like, we were just freaking out in the sushi restaurant and they're like, okay, let's just push the meeting out. They wanted to meet like immediately. I was like, let's push the meeting out a week and collect our thoughts. I also didn't pack a suit. I had all my hoodies. I was like, I don't have anything to wear. I'm going to walk into this president's office with a, like flip-flops and a hoodie. And I messaged back, said, this is fantastic. Let's push it a week. And they end up getting into this dialogue that was tremendously fascinating. It was about the lack of financial inclusion in the country and how majority of the country didn't have a bank account, and that if they were going to build the country that they wanted to live in and they wanted their kids to live in, that they had to rebuild their financial infrastructure. And they saw Bitcoin and what Stripe was doing as a major factor in what they viewed as the future of the world, and not only in El Salvador, but globally. And they saw the country uniquely positioned to take the first step in where the United States is incapable, where the EU is incapable. And it was, I was blown away. It was never about like, we're going to, 
you know, buy a million dollars worth of Bitcoin and try and make money. It was all about financial inclusion. It was about open networks. It was about free markets from the very beginning. And then at the end of the message, they said, oh, by the way, you don't have seven days to meet us. You're going to meet us within the next 24 hours. <laughs> and I was like, mm. all right. So I called oh. my dad. Yeah. I, and, and obviously within the message, it was like, this is an absolute secret. Like, um, you can't mention this to anyone. Uh, so I called my dad and was like, hey, listen, uh, I got to go meet the president. And um, I'm scared. I don't know if I'm going to get arrested, um, if I'm going to be threatened, I, or if I'm going to be like praised and then threatened by the United States. Like I have no idea what's going on. I just I'm a Bitcoiner through and through, uh, and um, but I got to do this. I got to do this for Bitcoin. I got to do this for uh, financial inclusion for the people that need this. And I'm going to speak my truth and talk about how I view the world. And uh, I went. I went, and my buddy came with me. And the, 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 there, there are three of us. And the thesis was one person was going to stay behind in case I never made it out of the meeting. And we had a direct line to like the U.S. Embassy and other people that we had collected that would be helpful. And then my other friend went with me and he was just like, listen, dude, if you're going to go to jail, like I'm going to go to jail with you, man. Like this is a fight for human freedom. And this is not the point in which we turn around. And so he came with me to just wait in the lobby uh, and in case I went to jail, I wasn't going to go to jail alone. And we went and, and, uh, and yeah, we pulled in. First of all, they gave me latitude and longitude. They didn't give me an address, which was awesome. And so it, I gave like my driver latitude, longitude. He was like, what is this? Like, and I didn't speak Spanish. I had to explain to him that we had to put it into like Google coordinate and stuff. And we show up and there's like, you know, guys with the rifles everywhere and all the security. And initially they like perk up, like, who's this American 27 year old? And then out comes the president's brother and waves me in and I'm wearing a hoodie and he's wearing a hoodie. And I immediately felt comfortable. And from the start, the conversation was about financial inclusion, open systems, open monetary networks, free markets, uh, how the existing financial system is broken and how in theory, the world is a much more free, economically liberal place if the monetary network is Bitcoin. And we talked about everything. We talked about art. We talked about artistry. We talked about anime. We talked about our taste in food and just got to know each other as like people. And then how Bitcoin could play a role in improving the country and improving the world. Um, both the asset and the network. And that was the beginnings of it. And I went back to my hotel in San Salvador and uh, I began sketching out uh, some ideas and we would meet over and over and over and over. And uh, yeah, I'll stop there. But that was like the f first, and it was obviously, they, they gave me instruction, like this is an absolute secret. And, you know, you, we can't let, the narrative sneak into other people's minds and, and get too many voices included. Like we got this, we can do this. Um, we really trust your expertise. Uh, and I grew to, you know, appreciate their opinions and their viewpoint on the world. And that was the start of the whole thing. Well, there's some stories we can share in terms of going to visit them. Cause, uh, I went as well and 
I'm not going to lie, it was the most nerve-wracking experience of my life. Let me tell you a funny story. So, uh, so I went to the presidential palace and I had to wait an hour for the meeting because his other one overran. And there was this corridor that was lined with like traditional soldiers with swords. And as you walk past them, their eyes followed you. I was so nervous. I had to go to the toilet five times before the meeting. <laughs> so every time I was going down, these eyes were following me. I, I just thought they must be thinking, what is this fucking moron doing? But uh, okay, let let people know. Let's go a bit more detail on the problem that uh, Strike is solving, uh, the problem with remittance, what's happening, the reality of it. Because what really pisses me off when you get someone like Peter Schiff, like he can hate Bitcoin as a store of value if he wants and blame volatility. He can hate it as a medium of exchange. But when he says Bitcoin isn't needed by anyone, the reality, if you can use the Bitcoin network for remittance and send dollars back and forth, it's an outright lie that Bitcoin isn't needed by anyone. So talk about the remittance problem, what's being solved. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the insights that has to be conceptually understood is that uh we at Strike view Bitcoin as the world's best monetary network. In fact, it's the best monetary network conceived in human history. Uh, and so if you look at existing monetary networks like the Visa network or the Square network or the PayPal network, I mean, all monetary networks are out to set and achieve you know, virtually the same thing. To find identity within the network, like what's the difference between my Visa card, Peter's Visa card, to find payment standards, so how to send a payment, how to receive a payment how finality is achieved, how clearance is achieved, how credit is issued and settled within a network. And, you know, you have like hundreds of different monetary networks all over the world and they're private and they're bifurcated. And my cash app identity doesn't talk to my PayPal identity. They, they aren't interoperable with each other. They live independently and they compete. Uh, and so the insight that we have at Strike is that Bitcoin is the world's first open monetary network. Uh, it's open. It's ultimately inclusive to everyone on the planet. It works in the developing world, the same it works in the developed world. It works in El Zante, the same it works in Chicago. It also can achieve final clearance, cash finality, all the payment standards and general goals of any monetary network, cheaper, faster, and better. And so what we viewed as the first killer app of many is cross-border payments. Cross-border payments traditionally carry anything between three to 10 intermediaries to accomplish. They take two to 10 days. Fees can be upwards of 50%. And we've said all of a sudden we have this monetary network that can move any amount of physical value anywhere in the world 24-7, 365, and has the liquidity profile to get in and out of any currency at that any, any time. Amount, Jack, that any amount is really super important though, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so... Anyway, the, the thesis was if we can use Bitcoin, the rails, the network, and not necessarily make you hold the asset and get a multi-sig set up, but if I can link my Chase Bank account that's interoperable with the Bitcoin network and Peter, his British pound account that's interoperable with the network, in theory, I can make a payment from Peter from my US dollars in Chicago to his pounds in Bedford. And how that would work is the dollars are debited from my Chase account transferred to Bitcoin, zipped across the ocean and across the border over the Lightning Network where it lands there in a second and at no cost and then transferred right back into pounds. And so in theory, it should dematerialize the entire cross-border payment and remittance space and begin a new epoch in how we think about financial connectivity and inclusivity on the planet. And to your point, Peter, it's really, really important to identify any amount. 
Um, and I want to draw this akin to uh, Robin Hood. And so initially when Robin Hood was starting their pitch to investors, I actually, you know, I've speak, spoken to the Robin Hood founders as of recent and uh, their pitch to investors recently, uh, investors didn't get it. They were like, listen, I trade $500,000 lots. I trade a million dollars at a time. I don't understand the di- like commission-free trading. I don't care to pay 1%. What's 1% of a million dollars? And what they didn't understand is that there's fixed costs associated to trading into prime brokerage. And that sure, it's 1% if you're trading a million dollars, but it could be 50% if you're trading $10 because there's a base minimum fee that is associated to brokerage. And so not only did Robinhood make commission-free trading, but they enabled an entire new market of traders. You couldn't trade with $5 in your pocket before because the fixed costs associated priced you out. It was a minimum fee of like $50 to make a trade. So it was only economically responsible to trade lots in the thousands of dollars. And so not only did Robinhood make trading cheaper, but they unlocked trading for an economic class that was previously uninvited in not included in the opportunity of buying stocks and participating in the equity market. And so I say all this to say what we're doing is the exact same, is that yes, if you want to send $5,000 to Europe, using Strike will be way cheaper, way faster, way better. And TransferWise and Western Union, none of these services make sense anymore. However, what's important in reference to El Salvador is these people are operating within a remittance market where $50 is what they're sending home every week. In El Zante, $300 a month is the average income. And so the fixed cost associated with cross-border payments in the traditional financial system, that's where the 50% fees come in. People are sending, US citizens are sending 10 grand to Europe and saying, I'm not getting charged 50%. TransferWise isn't taking five grand. But yeah, if you try and send $50 to El Salvador, it will cost you 25 bucks. And Lightning solves that. There are no intermediaries. This is a peer-to-peer network. It's open, it's permissionless. And it costs nothing to send $1 or $1,000 or $100,000 or $100 million. The, the fees are tremendously small and sometimes zero. And so it enables a new market of cross-border payments, where if you've immigrated away from your family, away from your hometown because of the lack of financial opportunity, the lack of financial inclusion, because that's caused gang violence and threatened the security of your country, and you left and you now live in South Florida, and you're now working hard hours and wage to send money home, and you're sending $50 to $100 home every single month, your family's going to get all 50 to $100. Your family's not going to have to risk their health to go to Western Union and pick it up despite gangs bullying them outside. There are no financial intermediaries founded in the United States that cooperate with Washington, D.C. to take any cut of that and to upwards charge you and abuse you. And you can have financial inclusion, financial access, and a quality of life and basic human freedoms, which I believe is access to sound money uh, from your phone. And it's it's really tremendous, and I'm very proud of it, obviously. Okay, we'll talk about the lightning side of it in a minute. Let's talk about the Tether solution that you've put in place temporarily for El Salvador, why that is, because I think people don't really understand what's going on with this. Yeah, well, 
I hope, you know, like we can finish the rest of the story, but I hope people understand that when I went to El Salvador, I just had like a semi Twitter relationship with Mike, the like head of Bitcoin Beach. I didn't know any president. I didn't talk to any financial institution. And I actually was able to get connected with some of the financial institutions in El Salvador before I went just by ways of one of our investors. And I asked them the situation and they're like, it's actually illegal for a financial service to custody dollars and represent dollars on behalf of a user. Uh, No one understands how Bitcoin is treated legally. No one understands how it's taxed and it's generally kind of outlawed and the government has not given any clarity. And so I was like, well, fuck, I I don't know then how I'm going to pull this off. And so what I did is I, you know, we built Tether into Strike, which was the equivalent of the Chase Bank account in America. And it at least gave us some MVP basic functionality where I can go and just observe and listen and see how people used it and see if it was helpful. Um, But now uh, we're already integrating with like top five banks in the country and the top. So there's two there's two things. There's the banks in the country. Um, which are all going to be interoperable on Lightning and replace like what is the equivalent of ACH in America to the Lightning Network. It's actually really funny. I went and talked to one of the banks and you know set up an account and like, okay, how do I move money from this bank to this bank? And they were like, are you kidding? That's not possible. I was like, okay, this is like a pretty broken system. And so, uh, but re- remind you that the 70% of the country doesn't have a bank account and isn't in that system in the first place. And so we're integrating with the two top, they call them cash points, cash point distributors, where you can walk into a physical location with dollars, or you can come with like an app balance and walk out with physical dollars. It's a way to cash in and cash out with physical cash for those that are unbanked. And so with those two integrations, we'll have close to 1,000 cash points that not only spread through El Salvador, but through majority of Central America. And it allows all of the unbanked to walk in with $100 worth of cash and get that balance onto strike. And it allows $100 of strike balance to be exported and cashed out into physical cash. Uh, and so we're doing all of that. And the, all of that to say, Tether is no longer a part of anything. It, you know, To give everyone context, I went to El Salvador 90 days ago. This is all like, you know, it's been a thrill and very fast. And, uh, but Tether was part of the plan and originally because it had to be, because I didn't have a choice. And then, you know, you launch with Tether, you growth hack, you learn uh, and be a good listener and be a good observer. You end up meeting with the president and helping define regulatory clarity in the country. And then you roll Tether out, get it the fuck out of here and you help the country build uh, the most financially inclusive and resilient and reliable financial infrastructure any country's ever seen in human history. Nice. Well, listen, thanks for clearing that one up. Okay, so let's go back to the the story. So you've met with the president. What's next? So I initially meet with them. And my advice from day one was, obviously, you know me, but it was, you know, Bitcoin only. And that, you know, Bitcoin can solve, in my opinion, from a high level, two fundamental things that embody basic human freedom and financial inclusion for a country that, in my opinion, has been relatively abused by the system. Uh, And one is addressing the unintended spillover 
that the Federal Reserve causes by inflation. And the other is a monetary network that is not only inclusive and open, uh, but is tremendously efficient. And the general concept was taking a country who may be 250 years behind and putting them 250 years ahead. So we have these conversations and we, you know, he, we're, they're taking me around the capital of San Salvador. We're walking through the parks. We're meeting the people. It's tremendously fascinating and interesting. And then I go home and uh, I was home for, I don't know, like a day or two. And then they call and say, hey, listen, you know, we've decided, uh, you know, this has always been part of our plan. But after talking with you and getting to know the space a little bit more and hearing your ideas, like we need to make Bitcoin legal tender uh, and we need to rebuild the country's financial infrastructure. and be a representation for the entire world. And yeah, and it was this like mic drop type of phone call. And so, yeah, I called the leadership of Strike and I said, hey, I got to go back. Uh, and we planned the trip and I went back and I met, I talked with them like pretty much every single day. And yeah, we, we like discussed like this whole like free market crypto economy thing all the way down to, no, it's about Bitcoin. and you know, we'll talk about, you know, shit coiners and why that doesn't make sense later. Um, but that was pretty much it. And then it was all about execution. So began, began just advising on, you know, the bill and what it should look like. And they would ask me questions on my opinions and stuff. And it's just collaboration. Um, and, you know, again, I want to give credit, like, I would phone up a lot of Bitcoiners in the space and ask opinions and give thoughts and, you know, I don't want to reference them because I, I don't know if they're okay with with their acknowledgement in this. But yeah, and, and we collaborated. And then it was about how to actually pull it off. Yeah. In the midst of this, I was sorry. I, I feel like I'm ranting. It's just a long no, it's story. No, it's, uh, look, I was there. I don't, it's, it's, I don't think people can really comprehend what those... I mean, especially there's about a five-week period where it was intense as fuck. Um like, it was really difficult because I had people asking and talking. I was like, I can't talk about it, yada, yada. But it wasn't just that the country had turned around to you and the, the president as brothers had turned around and said, yeah, we want to do this. We want to make Bitcoin legal tender. You were running a business. I know you're going to tell about the Indy 500. You had Miami to prepare for. You had life to live. You had to keep fit. You had to eat. So I don't think people really understand. I mean, what was the pressure like? It was overwhelming. And it was just like a little disorienting. But listen, like, you know, people have been concerned about me since and I'm not being public and stuff. Like, I'm the toughest motherfucker anyone's ever met. You know, I'm a soldier uh, and I will die on this hill. That's not a meme. Uh, and I fight for what's right. I'm the most resilient, uh, ambitious loyal guy. Those are like qualities I pride myself on. So it was, it was part of the job, man. And it is a job that I subscribe myself to and that I would take any day of the week. I would do it all over again. Um, but no, I mean, I went from meeting with the government in the top secret sense. It was like, don't you dare mention this to anybody. So then I would come back and have a car, a call with the IndyCar team. And then I would open my sketchbook and start drawing visions of what a car would look like. And then I would start writing edits to the bill and like, oh, you know, like, would this look good? I'm not sure. And then we're onboarding 20,000 Salvadorans a day and we're hiring like crazy and our business in the U.S. is exploding. 
and I'm, you know, hiring new leadership and moving our org structure around. And I'm living out of this villa and the coast of El Salvador. And it was intense. And, and you would, you know, I would, I would talk with other folks and I wasn't allowed to say anything I'm working on. And people are wiring me millions of dollars for the IndyCar. And it was, you know, like coordinating with open source teams on where the money was going. Um, but it was, it was, I don't know, man. I mean, like, I love it. I live for it. And uh, I, I optimize my life around doing what's best for Bitcoin because I think Bitcoin is the best tool humanity has ever created to make the most outsized impact on humanity and, and society and human behavior. And so if I can do best by Bitcoin, I feel like it's the best way I can impact the world and those well, around me. So That, optimi- that optimization is true because uh, me and Dylan would stay up late drinking a bottle of wine talking about Bitcoin, getting to know each other, talking about the film. You'd go, you'd go off, go to bed. We'd get up holding our heads. You'd be down in the gym, working out, sweating it out. Like, I saw it all. I, I don't... And, and that's one of the things, like, I don't think people can really understand or they can't, they can't see behind the curtain. Look, we've got it all on film, which is great, but I don't think people can see behind the curtain of, of what was happening and how you were preparing yourself. Uh, so we'll, we'll show that in a film sometime. Okay, talk to me about, let's talk about the bill, like the reality of what happened there. Yeah, well, I, I, I want to make a few things clear. All right. Uh, there's no commercial agreement between Strike and the government. Uh, the government is not like paying Strike or me anything. There's no contract we signed where like we have to be the infrastructure. Uh, in fact, I advised and like gave my opinion of the opposite: is that open networks have a tremendous amount of you know the economies of scale and network effects associated with them is so powerful. And just by plugging into them, you're going to get the free market competition that every country would die for, for every business. I mean, it is unbelievable. And all of these services are going to be natively interoperable. Uh, And so, in fact, even if they wanted to have a commercial agreement with Strike, I would never do it. And so the cooperation on the bill was just, I would, listen, I'm a Bitcoiner and they trust my expertise. And uh, I was just giving advice. And so, yeah, we would go back and forth on a lot of things. And ultimately, it's the president's signature and the president's decision on what to include. And there's a lot of things that I advised against that they ended up going with, like the timeline proposed. But um, generally speaking, it was a great experience. And uh, again, it was it was really optimized around financial inclusion and rebuilding financial infrastructure on an open monetary network, not only because it's cheaper, faster, more efficient, and more inclusive, uh, not only because it doesn't have any intermediaries or, uh, you know, it operates on open source money. And so it's a race to the bottom. And there's never going to be an environment where a single entity can be protective over high fee structures. Um, but also because of the network effects, because of the free market environment. Uh, and then we eventually, you know, I, I advised against, you know, it, it should be the Bitcoin standard. That's what makes the most sense. If we're optimizing to solve against the inflation spillover of the Federal Reserve that leads to the rising rates that leads to crushing markets like El Salvador. And if we're looking to solve for financial inclusion, then nothing else makes any sense. You know, if if all of a sudden there's a crypto asset that's optimized for people that are ambidextrous, and now the country needs to uh, update and adopt ambidextrous coin, 
well, that implies inflation to the asset class and inflation to Bitcoin. And so you have unintended spillover of inflation by people just creating crypto coins that actually do nothing. And it doesn't solve your inflation problem one bit. You want to subscribe to a hard money monetary policy that's defended by a distributed network and not exposed to any central point of failure. Uh, and that's Bitcoin. And entertaining other coins implies inflation that's outside of your control. And that doesn't like logically make any sense. And then the other is financial inclusion, and that if you were to operate on many, on hundreds of different uh, crypto monetary networks that aren't interoperable with each other, it's the equivalent of what we have today of bifurcated, independent monetary networks. And that Bitcoin and its developers, it's designed for it to be robust. It's designed to scale in layers, and it's the only uh, cryptocurrency that's been proven to actually achieve that. And that the Lightning Network actually works and it works at scale. And I would do demos where I'm swinging around tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the Lightning Network with them. And so that was some of the advice I was giving is that this is not about enabling, you know, Binance, but as a country, this is about the Bitcoin standard and empowering the world through building a model country and a model civilization. And we talked about like a lot of things. Like if you think about walking into, I used to famously give this example where if I walk into a Starbucks and they're interoperable with the Lightning Network and there's a Lightning QR code there, the, the power and freedom is now in the consumer. I could use Cash App, I could use Coinbase, I could use Strike, I could use Wallet Toshi, I could use the Bitcoin Beach Wallet, I could build my own wallet and be interoperable with it myself. And that that's a beautiful society and a beautiful world where it's up to the consumer to toggle their trade-offs of privacy, of fees, of color of the application, of how much KYC they want to provide. It's the ultimate free market environment, and it allows the consumer to live the life they want. The government, like one of the lines that they always, always, always say is to them, this is way bigger than Bitcoin too, is they want to enable a society where people can be themselves and people can be what they want. And they don't subscribe to college debt in six figures and then have to optimize their life around paying it back is that it's a, it's a, it's a society in a world where the money makes sense, where economic opportunity is reliable and resilient and the monetary network is inclusive and the monetary policy is distributed in a network of peers and that people can be themselves and pursue their true passions. And it was a free market environment in a liberated world and that they wanted it to be a model for the rest of the of the planet. And those were like, anyways, those were some of the high-level mm -hmm. conversations we're having. And we're going back and forth. And then there was this point in where they were like, okay, we need to build all of this infrastructure. Like, let's get all of the banks onto using the Strike API and get them interoperable. And we're going to do this. And we're going to mine out of volcanoes and all these things. And you know, my advice was you have to just plug into the open network. You know, if, if you plug into it, then the research that MIT professors are doing about cryptography benefits you. What Jack Dorsey's doing at Cash App with Bitcoin benefits you. What Michael Saylor's doing in issuing these, you know, notes on behalf of MicroStrategy to acquire more Bitcoin benefits you. Uh, we don't need to go out and achieve like a five-year roadmap of all of these things. The best way is to plug into the open monetary network, achieve the network of benefits, achieve the financial inclusion. People are going to come and rally behind something that stands for human freedom. Uh, and you just iterate your way through and let the open free market and the open monetary network build on itself. And that it actually 
is against everything we're trying to achieve together in an open, free world uh, if we're going to like build everything from scratch in a closed manner. And so my advice was, let's make, like try and come up with some way to make Bitcoin legal tender, some general plans and infrastructure. We'll talk to some of the banks and have a solid footing of the roadmap and then just do it. And so um, that was the advice. And then I had to take off to Indianapolis. And so we go to Indianapolis and the Bitcoin car races. We raised a ton of money. You know, shout out my friend Saquon Barkley. He jetted in to stand next to me in the PNC Bank car during the national anthem and then jetted back to New York to make practice for the Giants. So that is a Bitcoiner if I've ever seen one. Matt O'Dell, Peter, Russell Kung, everyone showed up. It was a great event. Um, I was, but you know, I shifted gears and I went into Bitcoin car mode and, you know, and then from Indy, we went to Miami and through all of this, we're messaging and, you know, there's the draft of the bills are getting passed around. We're like, okay, this is interesting. They're asking my opinion on things. And then this idea was flirted with like, Hey, what if the announcement was made at the Bitcoin conference? And a lot of it had to do with, you know, these guys are Bitcoiners. If you can't tell, like they've been on Bitcoin Twitter for some time. And so and so they're looking at what Elon Musk is spouting and they're like, this doesn't make any sense because with our volcano mining, you know, operation, we kill all of this FUD, you know, this FUD here, this FUD here. And they're like, this is ridiculous. We should just plug into this open system. This makes all the sense in the world. And so maybe it makes sense to make an announcement at the Bitcoin conference. And so I'm sitting here also, you know, strike, we were, you know, hiring like crazy. We're growing like crazy. We actually have, I'll be announcing next week, a huge feature we're launching in Europe, like, trust me, like very soon. And so I'm trying to manage all this stuff. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh gosh, am I going to do this at the Bitcoin conference? I have no idea. And, <laughs> and as we approach the conference, uh, you know, we're having this dialogue and they're like, you know, what? I think we should go for it. And so I call the conference, send them the NDA, and I say, hey, guys, I think I need a speaking slot. You know, here's what it's about. It's tremendously sensitive. It's tremendously serious. This is not a drill. Uh, And then the government was interested in, you know, letting a few companies know early um, to ensure that, like, there was sufficient support. And, you know, a month or so prior, I had started consulting with the geopolitical uh, press firm because, you know, <laughs> some of them, my company was like, hey, you know, this is maybe one of the biggest geopolitical announcements in the last 250 years. And it isn't, isn't clear how it's going to be received. We know Bitcoiners are going to be happy, but we're kind of unclear about your safety, about how people are going to address you and all of these things. And so I'm consulting with them. Uh, I reach out to some of these companies that, again, I'm not going to go into name and, and, and we're talking with the government. Uh, and then uh, I get the speaker slot and the president is like, OK, so, you know, I'm going to do a video for you uh, for my announcement. And and, uh, you know, you should tell your story and, and everything and why this is good for the world. And, you know, we'll plug into this open system and plug into this resilient community of cyber hornets and let's do it. And uh, this was and so <laughs> my conference. <laughs> <laughs> so my conference schedule was crazy. I, I, I had a, a panel on lightning for businesses and what lightning means to the world. 
Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to dinners and there's, you know, investors interested and strikes growth is just crazy and, uh, opening all these new business lines. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the NFL, I'm talking to, you know, NASCAR, I'm talking to, uh, you know, all of these amazing premier league teams and all these opportunities. Uh, and then, uh, I get a message. This is the day before the announcement. Um, I get a message that the final video is coming and that I need to start my speech. And so it's like 9 PM and I'm at dinner and I'm with my team. I'm like, guys, I have to go to the hotel immediately. Uh, this is definitely going to happen tomorrow. And so I, I text the conference. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be speaking. Give me the speaking slot. And, uh, I started the presentation maybe at 10 30 PM Miami time with the announcement set to be 4 PM the next day. And it was just an all-out hackathon. Um, my team was helping me. We were scraping together ideas all on calls nonstop. And my best friend in the world, who's also the CSO of Strike, uh, sitting right next to me in my hotel shout room. Shout out to Dylan. Shout out to Dylan. And we're like, all right, like this is it, man. Like we're going to change the world. It's kind of unclear, like how safe this is, and you know who, like what's going on. But like you know, we got this, and uh, you know, this is what's best for humanity. This is what's best for the world, for society, for all of those out there that need help. And like, I was more than like, let's go. And I was fired up. And uh, yeah, I got, I got the final version of the video at four in the morning, Miami time. And my presentation was 4 p.m. And so I didn't sleep. Dylan went to bed. I actually will never forget the timestamps of this day uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but I, I didn't sleep. I, I, you know, I had to do the slides. You know, I was pulling together a bunch of data that I obviously knew inflation and the Illinois housing hike and stuff. But, you know, I was pulling together this data, crafting the talk. And Dylan was set. I was set to wake him up at 8 a.m. So I get the video at 4 a.m. and I watch it and I cried. And I remember I was walking out of my hotel and walking along the beach. And there are people walking past me that were just drunk from the night before. And they're spilling over themselves on the beach. And I'm walking with my headphones in with tears in my eyes. And they're kind of making fun of me or like, whatever, throw the beer can at them. They're just drunk and having fun and stuff. And I'm just thinking in my head, like, little do they know, I'm about to make the biggest geopolitical announcement in 250 years and put the flag in the ground that human freedom instillment and financial inclusion starts now. And I'm walking past these people. They have no idea, right? And I got my headphones in. So I walk back in, I work on the presentation. I wake Dylan up at eight. Uh, then we had an emergency meeting with the geopolitical press firm that's doing the press release and managing what reporters can say what and just how, because I don't know how to make a geopolitical announcement. I mean, I'm 27, man. Like it wasn't too long ago, I was eating Flaming Hot Cheetos and playing beer pong. And so I'm, I'm like, okay, so emergency meeting at 1030 and it's about, here's the questions you don't answer. People are going to try and fish you. People are going to try and do this, all this crazy shit. Like this is, this is very serious. Here's the protocol on how we handle this, Jack, like lock in. Not like I haven't slept. I'm fucked up out here. And so then that meeting ends and it's a strict Uber to the conference at 1130 because my first panel starts, which is pay me in Bitcoin, which is all the athletes and celebrities that are working with us on the pay me in Bitcoin stuff. And so meeting ends at 11 from 11 to 1130. I shower. I get ready. I get to the conference. I do the first panel, pay me in Bitcoin. 
uh, with Russ and Sean Colkin and all these guys. Immediately after was the panel on the IndyCar. We announced how much we raised. You know, these guys are absolute heroes and everything. Uh, and then after that, uh, my team is like, yo, you haven't eaten or slept. So we need to go get you something to eat. They walk me to these food trucks. There's like Jamaican like cuisines. I'm like, guys, I, I can't like be shitting my pants like by giving this announcement. So I eat a plain <laughs> hot dog with no bun, no condiments, just like wolf this hot, hot dog down. I, I'll never forget all of these details. Uh, we go back. And the presentation's still not done. Like I, I'd barely gotten time to work on it. And so I'm sitting in the corner doing the presentation and I rally the whole strike team that's there. And uh, I give this talk to them and I say, hey guys, here's the deal. I wasn't allowed to talk about this until now, but I'm going to make an announcement and I don't know how safe this is going to be for you as employees. And people are going to come after you. People are going to try and degrade you. People are going to try and ask you hard questions. Here's the protocol we're going to follow. Strike is family. People are here not because they like writing software. People are here because they care about the future of the world. They care about human freedom. These are very passionate Bitcoiners that work at Strike. And I showed them the video of the president. I gave them all a hug. We all had a moment. And you know, I, I, I ensured that they were safe and that they were taken care of and that they understood the gravity of the moment and what to do in case of emergency and all of those things. And then uh, I sat down. I had about an hour and a half left. And so I went on stage and I sat out to finish the presentation and I had a uh, pomp to my left. We're sitting in, in this couch in the very back of the behind the stage. And mind you, after me was Tim Dillon and Jake Paul and Winkle Voss. And so like TikTokers are like coming by asking me where the bathroom is. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, listen, I don't give a fuck that like millions of people like watching you dance at 15 seconds at a time. Like I'm trying to solve systemic human freedom problems right now. Like stop bothering me. And so then there's like people like whisking Jake Paul away and telling him to go take a piss elsewhere. And I had prompt to my left. I had my best friend to my right. And I had my COO in my ears, uh, who's in San Francisco. And we're walking through the slides and everything. We're like, okay, uh, we think we got this. And we had put a bunch of notes on my slides to just give me reference on what to say and like points to remember and stuff. Uh, and it, it was a conscious decision. Like we, I asked Pomp, I was like, you want, do, should I go up there and give you a bunch of credit? Should I credit everyone? He's like, no, this is, no one knows if this is going to endanger people, how this is going to go. Like you got to just get up there and do your thing. And so, yeah, I walked on stage and uh, you can rewatch the video if you'd like. So I get on stage and I look down and my notes are gone. Uh, the, the screen that displays the notes, like someone had like kicked the plug. It was like- You never told me that. Yeah, it was like flickering. And so I get on stage, like haven't slept. And I'm, but at the same time, like pure adrenaline. Like I live for this. I will die on this hill. That's not a joke. I, this is the moment that I've prepared for, like, I'm going to do this on behalf of all the Bitcoiners, on behalf of Bitcoin Beach, all the heroes in that community that did this when no one was watching and continue to do it while everyone's watching. Like, I love them. I appreciate them. In no way was I ever trying to get more credit or do anything. They are the true heroes. I was doing this for them. I was doing this for humanity. I was doing this for the billions that are unbanked, the billions that are excluded and abused by the initial financial system, the billions of people actually 8 billion people 
that are affected by the unintended spillover of the Federal Reserve's inflation. And I was fired up and ready to go. And I get on stage and my notes aren't there. And so I immediately, I remember thinking in my head, like, I'm going to ask the crowd if they're ready for this. And then I'm going to say there's no fucking way instead of there's no way. And I'm going to say fuck because I need to calm myself down. I got no notes. I haven't slept. I've taken a million espresso shots and I just need to calm down. And so I found where my dad was in the crowd and I locked If you rewatch the video, I locked in with my dad and I just started cursing because it was all about being myself, being myself and embracing the moment and being authentic and, and uh, fighting for humanity. And, and then that's what happened. And <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, brother, um, firstly, thank you for making me part of this. This last six weeks, eight weeks have been incredible for me as well. So thank you because I got to live through all of it with you. I got to live through what was happening here in El Salvador. I got to live through Chicago with you. I got to live through the Indy with you. Not so much in Miami because you were busy. I couldn't find you. Uh, but I got to watch it uh, and I've got to come back and experience it. So firstly, just on a very personal note, thank you. I don't think people know. The problem we have, is we're in this Twitter world right, where people just want to spout shit and shout things and get angry and for whatever reason, whatever shit's going on in their life, they just want to be angry at people, but they don't ever know the full details of everything that goes on in the background. And so, I mean, I don't know about you. I've, I've, in some ways, I've come to accept it, that people never will. So you just accept people talk shit. But I, I'm glad we're getting this out there because I want people to know what happened, you know, because this was an intense six weeks. A lot of shit happened. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made, which on the face of it to other people might seem wrong, but they don't understand what's going on. So... Thank you for allowing me to be part of this and, and doing it now and telling the story. I do have a question, though, just with regards to the bill. Because the thing that stood out to me on the bill, and I don't want to go through the details of it now, but I thought the bravest thing they did, and it's, I think is going to turn out to be one of the smartest things, is this uh, part of the bill that says every economic agent must accept Bitcoin, but they will transfer it into dollars instantly if they need it. Now, there's been a lot of questions about that part of the bill. You know, are we ready? Can it happen in time? Yada, yada. And the details have got to come. But I, I feel like that's so important for driving Bitcoin into the country, raising the net wealth of the country, raising, uh, increasing prosperity for people. And also, I met with one guy and he said to me, he said, listen, you know, we can we can do this slowly or we can just put it on the people and people will learn. If they're forced to do it, they'll learn and they'll learn quickly. How, how involved were you in that part of the bill specifically? Um, I mean, I, I actually wasn't aware of that part until oh, right. like right before. Uh, but no, I mean, like, listen, it's not about like who wrote what part and stuff. Um, it's about... First of all, you know, of course, I'm, I'm, it was an honor to have you come capture this. I'm really excited for people to watch the film of my life. And like, it's, it's a very fascinating story. Uh, and yeah, for the people that think I was like fake crying and stuff, like the, I was clipped up audio and like I was crying my eyes out like a fifth grader who lost his Yu-Gi-Oh card to my dad after I got off stage. So we had people will see man. everything. But anyways, um, no, the, and, and this is way bigger than me, by the way. This is, again, like I'm not in this for any fame. Like this is about Bitcoin Beach. This is about Bitcoin Core. Like think about all the developers that worked for a decade to enable a moment like this for humanity. This is not about me. I played the small role that I played. And, and I told my company too, by the way, 
that this is not an accident. Like I showed them the very first slide in my strike pitch deck to investors a long time ago. And it says, I have it right here. I'll read it. Mission. Our mission is to secure financial freedom for all. We accomplish this by making the Bitcoin network easily accessible and usable. We choose the Bitcoin network because it is uncensorable, unfreezable, permissionless, borderless, and offers cash finality. We believe with Bitcoin as the monetary network of the planet, the financial system will be cheaper, faster, more innovative, and more inclusive. And so I told my team, this isn't about us. This is, but this is along our mission. If you look what we did with Russell, if you look what we did with consumers, if you look what we did with El Salvador, it is along the mission and thesis of the company. And this is going to happen again. We just have to continue to fight for our mission and fight for what we subscribe for and fight to how we think the world should be through our company and through software we write. So this is way bigger than me. And I'm not in this for me. And I just want to make that very clear that this is about this community. This is about everyone on Twitter that's constantly mm-hmm. battled FUD. This is about people that stack sets every single day and don't have to brag about it, don't have to be known about it. This is about Bitcoin Beach. This is about you, Peter, who tirelessly travels around the world and covers stories and takes a lot of hate from a lot of people. This is about all of us embracing this moment and hopefully realizing that we're pushing the world in what we hope is the right direction. And it's a tremendous thing to be tremendously proud of. Uh, so I want to say that. Yeah. Uh, onto the bill. Uh, so, you know, the, from the discussions, again, I'm, I'm just advising them. And, you know, like we, uh, my my role with with the relationship I have with the government is I'm not a politician. I, I don't like uh, we've never talked about any other political decisions. Like I'm a Bitcoiner, a diehard Bitcoiner. I spent my whole life on this asset and on this network, and I plan to spend the rest of my life being a diehard Bitcoiner. And so our conversations are about anime and art and food. And they taught me how to like uh, put wasabi on my sushi and like how to use chopsticks and stuff. And then, uh, I, I don't know, I've just used my hands in a fork hole my whole life. Um, and, uh, and then Bitcoin. And so yeah. the conversation was about this open network. And, and I, my, my impression from the conversation I had with them is that they want people to use this open monetary network and not to discriminate away from Bitcoin. Another part of the bill that's really important that you should check out is that when things are priced, you're not allowed to misprice things in Bitcoin. So a pupusa can't cost $1 if you pay in dollars, but $10 if you pay in Bitcoin. So that Bitcoin is to be treated not only equal in the sense of a money, but also equal in the sense of a network. And the, the, the thesis that they held is that an open monetary network and the network effects and economies of scale that come associated with it, it will become the most innovative and dominant and impressive monetary network in the country, and that people should be influenced to go use it. If you have the technical capability to subscribe and plug into the network and be interoperable to it, you should. To be clear, it is not a mandate to touch Bitcoin the asset, to hold Bitcoin the asset. They became very familiar with Strike's infrastructure and understood that you can be interoperable with this open monetary network that gives all these efficiencies while just touching dollars. And it it wasn't subscribing people to volatility concerns or anything like that. It was everyone should be interoperable with this network. And you could use the Bitcoin Beach wallet. You could use Blue Wallet. You could use Strikes Infrastructure. You could do whatever you want. In fact, you could go like someone was like, you have a commercial relationship with the government. That's why the banks are talking to you. Like, I don't have anything. In fact, that goes against everything that the country stands for and what we're trying to accomplish together. I told the bank, if you want, you can go download LND from GitHub 
and you can run your own lightning node, they prefer working with us. But anyway, it, it was an effort to get people onto this open monetary network, enhanced from the network effects, enhanced from the economies of scale. Uh, and it's not like if some pupusa lady is not accepting Bitcoin, she's going to jail. It was that like the Bitcoin monetary network carries the properties and the network effects and the free market characteristics that we embody as a country. And it should be treated as equal to the dollar network and you know holding cash. Uh, and that was the intention. But I think there's a lot of confusion that people are like Salvadorans are being mandated to hold Bitcoin, which is not true. You know, like a you know, pupusa lady can ha- show an interoperable sh- lightning network QR code that can be scanned by any other interoperable wallet, Wallet Astoshi, Blue Wallet. Uh, Bitcoin Beach, a compiled LND that's living in someone's basement over Tor, and scan it, and the pupusa lady's just going to get dollars and never touch Bitcoin, but remain interoperable with the network. And so, from my conversation with the government and fearing about their plans, that's how I'm perceiving it. And that part of the bill, it, to my understanding, is trying to expedite interoperability with what they believe to be the most powerful and inclusive monetary network, which reinstills basic human freedom. And that is my opinion, but I'm not the president. Next up, I talk to Jack more about what happened in El Salvador. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, let's start with Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I haven't sold any Bitcoin with them, right? We're in a bull market. I'm not selling. Are you selling? No. Now, I've started using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for doing this. And with a streamlined trading view, Gemini gives you access to the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing all through one clear, attractive interface. Now, if you want to find out more, please do head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Next up today, we have my newest sponsor, Revolut. Now, as many of you know, Lloyd's TSB, my bank of 25 years, closed down all my accounts recently. It appears that they do not like Bitcoin. So enter Revolut, who could not have made it easier for me to sign up and transfer all my account details over to them. But the most important thing is they like Bitcoin. They want to make it easy for you to transfer to exchanges. And Revolut are offering a $20 or £20 bonus to all new customers that sign up and complete three card transactions. It takes a few minutes to set up and you can create a card and add it to Apple Pay immediately and get that cash in your pocket. But you know what I would do? I would turn that straight into Bitcoin. Now, this is a new relationship, and I'm working with the Revolut team to help them build a bank which is Bitcoin friendly. So there's a lot to navigate, but we've got this. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to revolut.com forward slash WB to get your bonus, which is R E V O L U T dot com forward slash WBD. And next up, we have BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services, offering a number of products for Bitcoiners. Now, with a BlockFi interest account, you can earn yield on your Bitcoin. Now, I've been a customer for over two years, and this has allowed me to let my Bitcoin work for me. Also with BlockFi, you can take out a loan against your Bitcoin without selling. And as you know, they are imminently launching their BlockFi rewards credit card with 1.5% rewards back in sats on all card purchases. Now, if you're interested in checking BlockFi out, I recommend you do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And lastly, this week we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. 
how a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017. And you know what? I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, and that interfaces directly with your device. Also, if you're an Android phone user, you can connect your Nano S to your phone and manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. All right, so a couple of other things I want to touch on. Uh, so... A lot of people have been coming down to El Salvador for the last two years, seeing Bitcoin Beach, offering their help, getting to know the people, spending time in Zonte. And since the announcement, we've seen a bunch of people suddenly want to come here. Shitcoiners, uh, opportunists, yada, yada. I met with the uh, official Bitcoin delegation last night who came and had dinner and left, didn't spend any time with the community. Um, you know, I know you talked to them when I spoke with the president. I, you know, I was very, very direct in that there are going to be people who are going to come and say they're Bitcoiners, act like Bitcoiners, and try and sl slip under the rug, uh, uh, shitcoins and things. Uh, he was quite straight with me. He said, listen, it's, it's very difficult for us to stop people buying uh, other currencies, but it's only Bitcoin that's legal tender. I know you've got thoughts on this. Uh, my view is like, it's hard enough to get everyone to learn about Bitcoin. We don't need a thousand shitcoins here. Yeah. Well, if you're referring to the Brock Pierce event that just happened, um, mm -hmm. yeah, the government actually just gave me a call. Well, not just that though, Jack. I mean, I am, but I'm also, I think that is a wider issue where there will be others, not just Brock. There will be others. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they, yeah, I talked to the government a long time ago, months ago, about this, about, you know, an appetite for scamming and somehow inviting people to participate in a free market, participate in an open network and build on top of what they believe to be the most resilient, impressive and inclusive financial monetary network ever, um, whilst also ensuring that it's Bitcoin only, and it's an ultimate attempt at the Bitcoin standard. And for my conversations with them, that's always been the goal. Um, and we've migrated and end, ended up at that destination. And um, yeah, I actually, you know, they phoned me up uh, yesterday during the day. Uh, and I talked with them about a lot of things. And one of them was, you know, Brock Pierce. And yeah, they, they actually declined Brock's invitation to what he invited them to. Uh, they didn't have any participation in him coming and and stuff. And uh, they understand what's going on. And, you know, ultimately, they they don't, and in my opinion, my humble opinion, shouldn't gatekeep who comes in and out of the country. Again, that's against what this is all about. Um, but it, it is it is a Bitcoin only project. And, and yeah, and and I can give my opinion and my thoughts ultimately like. Uh, they're going to do as they please. Uh, but um, yeah, there's actually a message. This isn't from the president or anything. I don't want to like say who's from or something, but I found it like super powerful. So I'm just going to like pull it up on my, um, this message to me, like it hit me like, oh, like a Bitcoiners. <laughs> uh, it said, 
Uh, we are adopting Bitcoin because it creates a better ecosystem for all businesses and entrepreneurs to build and innovate. We encourage all to build on this network. As a country, El Salvador is adopting the Bitcoin standard and will remain Bitcoin only. Not to be clear, that's not from the president. It's not representing anybody. This is just like somebody who is like working within the country. They may be a bank. They may be whatever. But like anyway, to give any insight into my conversations with them, I don't want you know what they're doing to be co-opted by people with maybe ill intentions and malicious intent. Um, and I don't want the work that's been done by Bitcoin Beach and just the pure bravery that this government has and what they stand for and what they're doing for society and for humanity to be taken and stolen and the narrative to be co-opted. So that's my inside scoop and conversation is an advice I've had. And yeah. And, and like I said before, I mean, shit coins don't make any sense. Uh, it implies like spillover levels of inflation that are similar to the Federal Reserve with people creating coins for like those that are vegetarian, like like things that don't make any sense uh, and that it doesn't improve an open monetary network by introducing monetary networks that are unreliable, not censorship resistant, highly centralized and co-optive and then also aren't interoperable. So I, they, they understand that. You're so close-minded, you damn maxi you. You need to be open-minded, Jack. <laughs> Listen, it is what it is. It's an exciting project here. Um, I know you've already mentioned the core guys, uh, the hard work people have put in years ahead uh, of this. Uh, we should probably also uh, sh- give a shout-out to the Lightning guys that have been working on this for years as well. And also give a shout-out to anyone who stood hard, strong, firm with their Bitcoin beliefs. I struggle to understand toxicity at times. I do think th- sometimes it goes over the top. But at the same time, you can't you can't have a monetary network, a free open monetary network like Bitcoin without it being defended. Uh, I've come to understand that myself. I think it takes some time. But for a country to be able to adopt this standard, they need to know there is a group of people behind them defending it from scammers, those trying to co-opt it, uh, those trying to influence it. And, uh, you know, long may that continue, actually. Yeah, I mean, I so the way I view it is that Bitcoin solves one of humanity's longest problems, which is money. Uh, And I view money as a basic human freedom and financial inclusion and financial access, a basic human freedom. And so, you know, there are human freedoms that have been in serious jeopardy uh, for God knows how many years. And whether you're an Anon on Twitter, whether you're a Lightning Network developer, whether you wrote the Lightning Network paper and are no longer involved, contribute to Bitcoin Core, if you're Jorge, Chimbera, Renato, Mike, and Elzante that gave the world a little bit of hope and that, and that drive and commitment into doing this long before anyone thought it was possible, like all of that is an effort to reinstill human freedom and push the world forward and give humanity a, a higher quality of life and higher standards and ultimate financial inclusion and freedom. And I think we, the intensity that everyone comes with uh, em, em, embodies that is that we're all working and striving for what we believe is going to make the world a better place. I mean, I've said this before, but I think as a as a human being, you ultimately want two things inherently, no matter who you are. You want to be part of something bigger than yourself, 
And so that's just not living your life alone, right? That could be starting a family, that could be starting a business, it could be joining a company that you're really into, that could be being part of a men's league basketball team, right? Just being part of something bigger than yourself as an individual, and then working towards something that will last longer than you will. And that's leaving a legacy. And that's when you die, the work that you've contributed to the planet Earth is still alive and still moving forward. And that's contributing to society, to human species, and leaving a legacy and doing good time on the planet. And I think Bitcoiners embody both of those things. It's being part of this community, being being a cyber hornet, being part of this distributed network, and ultimately defending the best tool humanity has ever conceived and the best tool that allows us to reinstill human freedoms without any central parties saying otherwise and pushing the world forward in the right direction. And when we all die, Bitcoin will still be here. And so it, it's the ultimate opportunity as a human. And people, you know, some people write code, some people start community projects, some people found businesses, some people have a non-Twitter account and spend 30 minutes a day on Bitcoin and not, don't pay attention much at all. But all of it, everyone deserves credit. And this is not about any single company. I have no commercial relationship with the government. Strike is competing in the free and open market and participating on this open monetary network, just like everybody else. If there's a competing lightning business that wants to integrate with a bank, you should fly to El Salvador and give them a call. And uh, everyone should be just like tremendously proud of this moment because I think it's a timestamp in where like humanity improved and like we all fought for this and defended, you know, what if Bitcoin hard forked and it was unsure the strength of the monetary policy and the resiliency of the network, right? Like what if lightning didn't exist and people like, Elizabeth Stark and Joseph and Taj and Blockstream and the Eclair folks and Async, like, what if they didn't take on the ambitious plan that is solving the variable time and the variable cost of making a Bitcoin transaction and building the infrastructure that is now the layer two? Like, what if Bitcoin core developers conceded to all the death threats that Roger Ver gave and all the abuse that they took over the years when Bitcoin was in a bull and a bear market? What if they gave in and gave up and went and took a job at Facebook? You know, what if Mike Peterson didn't work day and night at Bitcoin Beach and Jorge and Renato and Chimbera and that whole team for two years, they fought with no spotlight and they don't have bank accounts and they were fighting for financial inclusion because they needed it, not because it was shiny and looked cool, but because this was kind of like, not to be dramatic, but like life or death. It was, do you want to succumb to the, to the bullies that is the existing intermediaries in the financial system? Or are you going to plug into hope? What if they didn't do that? What if they found it easier to just fish and give in to the fact that my life sucks because of where I was born and, and who I am? That's stupid. That's mm. fucked up. And you know, what if you and I didn't go to El Salvador? Maybe it's easier. You know, I get acquisition offers for strike every day. I'm not fucking selling. I'm not doing this for money. I, I like what if what if you and I Sold. You could sell what Bitcoin did to Spotify or whatever. I could fucking sell Strike tomorrow. What if we, what if we gave up? Yeah. Right? So <laughs> everyone, everyone, this is a collective, distributed, decentralized fight for human freedom, for quality of life for all, for inclusion financially. And it's by the people, for the people, by the people. And it's bigger than any one company. It's bigger than any one individual. And I, I'll take all the death threats I'm getting and all the abuse I'm getting online. You know, as much as I tell myself as a kid, I'm a grown man and I'm a warrior and, and I and I take it all to the fucking face. Like, bring it on. 
because you're not going to derail me for my passion for fighting for what's right. No way. And well, listen, I'm brother, proud of everyone. So you, you, my speech. Uh, you, uh, I told you this was like a coming of age thing in certain ways. I don't mean it in a condescending way. I'm telling you as my friend and brother and someone I've been through some things with and I've watched you, you call yourself a kid, but a, a kid doesn't write a bill for a government or help write a bill. It doesn't do the things you've done. You are a man and you're a grown man. You've done some fucking impressive shit. And I, I know it might sound condescending, but I just, I'm really proud of you, man. It's like, I'm blown away by the things you, I was a fucking moron at your age. I, I mean, I still am a fucking moron. But like, the stuff you've done is brilliant. I'm proud of you. It's amazing. There's so much opportunity here now. And I would say to the people, there's a lot of people spreading misinformation and putting shit up on Twitter. It's like, fucking come down here. Like, I've been coming for nearly two years. Uh, uh, come down here. There's people been coming for two years. Plebs, way before the shitcoin scammers, helping out, supporting what's going on here. Come down, come help. Because I, when I met with the president, the thing that really stood out to me, the question I asked him was, you know, how can we all help? And he said, this has to work. This can't fail. This has to work. So I'm like, come down here, spend some sats, meet the people, you know, support support the projects, provide education, translate it into Spanish. We can all contribute to this. And I mean, it's exciting. It's exciting times, dude. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, well, I appreciate it. And I, I don't think about that. I mean, as company, I do. We, we keep on, we keep on, we do our job and, uh, we improve the world through the software we write and through the opinions and principles we hold dear to us. But I think uh, all this stuff uh, is going to be solved with time. I think that people are excited and, you know, I, I, but right now I'm not spending my time on Twitter. Um, the way to solve the tether FUD is to finish our integration with all the banks in the country and all the cash points for those that are unbanked and show people the power of this open monetary network and just the pure experience that you can get financially by plugging in. And so that's what I spend my time on. And I'm so proud of my team because whether you're, we're still working with a lot of professional athletes, we're going to launch in Europe. There's a huge announcement I'm about to make. And, you know, we've moved forward and this is all part of our mission. You know, we're not like hyper-focused and like dedicating everything to El Salvador. We're another company that has a mission of improving financial freedom and financial inclusivity through this open network. And I think time just solves it all. They cypherpunks write code. And so, yeah, no, like I'm, I'm actually working on pricing, helping price uh, some volcano bonds. So there's a <laughs> soundbite for you. And so, yeah, I optimize myself around the company mission. I think the company mission improves the world. And uh, I think time's going to fix this all. People are just excited. Well, listen, Jack, one country is a, is a target, two is a movement, 10 is a gang. It seems like there's a lot of interest now. We're seeing laser eyes from Central and South American politicians popping up. Uh, this has started something, sparked something. It's, it's incredible to see. It's, you know, there was a long time where I, I would hear about hyper-Bitcoinization. I'd be like, yeah, come on. I mean, I get, I get, I get what you're saying, but come on. The, the reality is in front of us now. This could happen. You know, economic freedom and uh, human freedom can be brought to the world through Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin Beach started this. You're part of it. There's so many people part of it. All the people who've worked on Bitcoin Core and Lightning in the past, all the people who stood up and defended Bitcoin, why shitcoiners shout at them and yell at them. So many people are part of this. But this, this is a real historic moment and a game changer. And you know, big congratulations to you, uh, Dylan. Just massive shout out to Dylan. He's a, a big part of this and the team you have at Strike. Uh, 
Thank you for letting me be part of this. You know what? I'm sure there's some things we need to talk about with Strike. We can do that another day. I think this is an interview that lives healthy on its own, telling this story. You know, I wish you the best. Uh, uh, you are my good friend uh, as well as your family. And you ever need anything, you shout me and I'll be there. I'll support you in everything you can do. And peace out, my man. Yeah. And I just, I want to take 30 seconds. I appreciate it. Peace out. And uh, to the community, like, you know, when I, I do, you know, I'm living in a hotel under an alias because I'm, you know, trying to enhance my security and stuff like all the love and support you guys give me, I, I, I'm going to start crying again, although nobody yet, everyone's seen my tears enough, but I, I fucking love, I love you guys. And like, uh, just like all the tweets and, and encouragement and stuff, like, just know that I read it and it means like the world to me. And, uh, like we achieved something great together as like a distributed network and a distributed community. And I just, I don't, I want everyone to know just how appreciative I am of, uh, the support I get, like it means the world and allows me to keep, keep, uh, keep going. So thank you to everyone. Thank you to Peter and, uh, see you on the other side. All right, brother. Take care. See you soon. Peace. All right. How good was that one? Jack has been killing it over the last few months and I've been filming the whole time. We're going to be making a documentary following the story from start to finish and I cannot wait to give you some of the details on that. It's going to take some time. There's a lot of material to get through, but we are still working on it at the moment. So please keep your eyes out. Please be patient. This will come out at some point in the next few months. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the interview. Please do check back on Monday. I've got a very special interview lined up. And if you do want to reach out and get in touch in the meantime, then please do jump in my Telegram channel or hit me up on hello or whatbitcoindid.com. Also, if you want to support the show, please do head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. Hopefully you think the show deserves five stars. And as I said, I'm heading back home on Monday. I've been away from my kids for something like six weeks. I'm missing them dearly. want to get back, see them, get back to Bedford, see how all my local friends are doing. But I will be back in here in El Salvador at some point. I will make a plan to come back. I do just want to say thanks to everyone for the hospitality here in El Salvador and also when I was in the States in Dallas, Chicago, Indianapolis, Miami, uh, even New York. I forget it all. There's been so many places. So thanks to everyone for that. Anyway, have a great weekend and I'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>